You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College episode number 291. Vice President Charles Curtis. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, I just gave it away there in the intro. We're talking about Charles Curtis. I know nobody would have ever guessed we'd be talking about a vice president because that's not what we've done in order every episode for the last however many. But that's right. We're going to talk about Charles Curtis. And Vice President Curtis is, I don't know, one of the more startling vice presidents to me because he's somebody who uh, made a lot of historical significance, did a lot of stuff. And even I am like... That doesn't sound at all familiar. I know, for real. And if you hear about his legacy, it it's kind of like uh, John Quincy Adams when, you know, he had this stellar career before and after, but while he was in office, not very much going on there. And uh, that tended to be the case with Charles Curtis. But, wow, what an interesting historic figure that a lot of us don't know a lot about, but we're changing that right now. That's right. That's who is Millard Fillmore anyway, right? That's the, the motto of this podcast. If we have a motto, that's how, that's what started this podcast. Who's Millard Fillmore again? Yeah. It's the impetus. I just wanted to say impetus. I thought, I thought that's what the case was. So here we go. Charles Curtis born on January 25th in 1860 in Topeka. And Jason, he's born in not Topeka, Kansas, but Topeka, Kansas Territory, because Kansas was not yet a state in uh, 1860. It was not till a full year after Charles Curtis is born that it enters into the Union. Yeah. So if you know anything about Kansas in the late 1850s, early 1860s, you know, it's pretty diverse state, not because of good things, but mainly because of, you know, the slavery issue. But Charles Curtis had a little bit of a different take on the whole way of being a Kansan, I guess, because he's actually from there. His family hails from Kansas. And like many native Kansans, you're going to have some Native American blood. He is actually three-eighths Native American. Yeah, and that's on his mother's side. His mother's name is Ellen, and his father's name is Orin, and he's English, Scots, Welsh, all the good stuff that we are too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, 
<laughs> I just say that because Jason and I are kind of mutts, and you know, most of most of that stuff is in our blood too. Yeah. So when we say good uh, stuff, it's just we're all made out of good stuff. Well, yeah, but everybody thinks the stuff they're made out of is, is cool. Yeah, that's kind of true, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's cool, but the stuff I'm made out of makes me cool too. Yeah. Anyway, you're so cool. I'm so cool. <laughs> so, uh, Charles Curtis is actually a descendant of Chief White Plume of the Cod Nation and Chief Pahuska of the Osage. So, he's not just partially Native American. He's like true-blooded, fully descended in the mix. Not like me, who I think I'm like one 380th Native American or something. I don't remember. I, I figured out the number one time because my mom said we had a Native American ancestry. And I'm like, let me figure it out. It's a long way back. Oh, you've got Native American history on this side of the family. On both sides. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's it's not that distant. No, I got to look into it. Yeah. It's, it's not, but I don't yeah. know who to believe or anything like that. But uh, Curtis's first words as a child were in French and Kansa um, because, well... His mom is teaching him how to speak, and here she's got all of this Native American blood and as well as French blood. So she's teaching him how to speak, and there it is. Baby Curtis is speaking French in Kansas. Now, his family lived on the Cow Reservation, and uh, especially after his mom uh, dies when he's three years old. He goes and lives with his maternal grandparents, and he loves to race horses. Uh, he becomes a successful jockey later in life uh, in prairie horse races, so kind of cool. But yeah, but definitely. But this story just kind of rocked my world. I would have never thought about this, but you want to tell about the Cheyenne warriors coming into town? Yeah. So in eighteen sixty eight. About 100 Cheyenne warriors come into the Kaw Reservation. And, um, you know, they, all, all the white settlers go to Council Grove and kind of take refuge there. But the Kaw men, they, you know, they, they get geared up. They put on regalia, they paint their faces and everything, and they ride out on horseback um, to confront the Cheyenne warriors who were there. And they were so... I don't know what the right word is, impressive. They were so, they struck fear into the hearts of the Cheyenne that they just left uh, after about four hours. Um, they did take a few horses and, and the, uh, the Ka put up a peace offering and, and stuff like that, but nobody gets injured. And during this battle, there's an interpreter by the name of Joe Jim and he takes off and, and heads out to Topeka to see if the governor will lend them any aid. Uh, this is about 60 miles. And riding along with Joe Jim is Charles Curtis, uh, who's only eight years old. And they named him at the time Indian Charlie. So what an experience that would have been. I can't imagine. Eight years old. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> it just amazes me. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, his mom dies when he's three years old, and his dad remarries, but that marriage didn't last very long. 
And then after the Civil War, his dad marries a third time, and they have a daughter uh, named Teresa. They called her Dolly, though, because, let's face it, if your name is Teresa, your nickname might as well be Dolly. Why not? <laughs> and um, Curtis continues to be uh, very heavily influenced by both his maternal and paternal grandparents. And both sets of grandparents were like, hey, Charlie, go get your education because that's very important. So he does that. He goes to Topeka High School. And later on, he reads law in an established law firm. And he works there, gets admitted to the bar in 1881, and begins his law practice because he knows he's going to become vice president someday. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be vice president, you got to be a lawyer first. So in 1884, Charles marries a lady by the name of Annie Elizabeth Baird. And they end up having a few children. And um, that's a little later in life, of course. But uh, his wife dies in 1924. So they were married for about 30, 35 years. And no, I'm sorry, about 40 years. Um, because th this happens right before he becomes the vice president, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I wanted to kind of shed a little foreshadowing on it. Um, he is a bachelor or a, a widower, I guess the case might be, uh, while he's in office. And he's kind of the only vice president uh, or the last vice president to remain unmarried during his time in office. So his sister actually uh, acts as kind of the hostess for any social events he had gone to or been to and um just an interesting dynamic that you know he's married for so long and then right before he takes office uh his wife passes away yeah so way before this you know he's living yep. in washington he's elected to the house of representatives in 1893 he serves there and he does serve on some committees um, especially dealing with native american affairs and you know i never thought of this too deeply Ben, but it's interesting the whole reason places like oklahoma and other indian territories were not admitted as states was because of this whole deal of native americans you know they didn't really consider themselves landowners they you know just belonged to the tribe you know belonged to everybody and right the u.s government was really big into assimilating uh, the Native Americans into the, the more European culture. And that was pretty controversial, but uh, Charles Curtis was very much of the opinion of, hey, it's really good for Native Americans to own land. And so uh, he goes to really champion this idea of assimilating Native Americans into the Euro-American culture so no matter how you feel about that uh curtis lands on that side of uh, of that uh, debate he gets elected to the senate in 1907 and this is where history kind of meets the 17th amendment um, and i wish we would have known this um, when we did the 17th amendment episode because we were talking about how the state legislatures would select senators to you know serve and represent the state well kansas was run by a republican legislature until 
1913, well, actually 1912, Democrats win control of the legislature, so Curtis does not get re-elected. Well, two years later, the 17th Amendment happens, where you can popularly elect a senator, and he gets back into the Senate. Kind of crazy how that all works out. I was just talking to somebody the other day, and they said... Did you know this thing about senators that they didn't, they weren't always elected? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I did know that. <laughs> um, I did a podcast episode about it, and they were like, "What's your podcast?" And I was like, "You'd hate it," but here it is anyway. <laughs> I know I've said that to people before. You know, like, yeah, you're, you're not gonna get it, and yeah. I don't know. I doubt any of it's those funny people when... are listening. Yeah. So during the time when he was in the Senate. Uh, Curtis was actually the president pro temp of the Senate. Uh, he was the chairman of the committee on expenditures in the department of the interior, which is kind of a long title. And he was the chairman of the committee on Indian depredations on the committee of coast defenses, the chairman of the Republican Senate conference. And he was also in there for like 10 years as the minority whip and as the majority leader. So he kind of has held, well, has held at this point, all the different types of leadership positions you could have in the Senate. And people really thought a lot of him because he was willing to work with everybody. It didn't matter if you were Republican, a Democrat, a holdover from the Whig party, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he was willing to work with you. Yeah, so this makes it sound like, well, of course he is going to be on the Republican ticket in 1928, right? Well, he was not a very big fan of Herbert Hoover. But if your party says, hey, come here, you're going to be the vice presidential candidate, you don't really say no. It's kind of a bad bad look if you ever want to get anywhere. Yeah, so, you know, he, uh, he does have this alliance with some of his fellow um, Republican senators, including Guy Goff. Uh, I don't think I'm related, but you never know. And uh, James Watson, as well as um, Illinois Governor Frank Loudon. They're all like, yeah, we cannot have Hoover be the Republican representative, you know, the candidate. Can't do that. Um, well, the Republicans are like, Nope. Hoover's our guy. And Curtis is like, okay, <laughs> let's do this then. <laughs> so he's on the ticket and he is quiet about how much he hates Hoover. And they end up winning the presidential election in 1928 with 58.2% of the popular votes. And a lot of times, as soon as someone is uh, either declared they're going to be running or especially after they win, they'll resign their seat if they have one. Well, he waits until the day before he's sworn in as vice president to give up his seat in the Senate, which, hey, maybe he thought something could happen. Maybe something will happen and I won't get sworn in. Who knows? Uh, so he goes in and takes the oath of office in the Senate chamber. And, of course, you know, heads on out for President Hoover's inauguration. Uh, not only is... Charles Curtis, the only native Kansan, the only Native American, the only non-European ancestry 
individual, individual of non-European ancestry, um, to become vice president. He also had a female staff member who would go onto the um, Senate floor with him previously, but also onto the, uh, well, yeah, onto the Senate floor as vice president as well. Um, so that really uh, shook a lot of people's sensibilities, I guess you could say, when, oh my goodness, there's a woman on the floor. Um, but she was one of the first women to enter in during session because she was, uh, she had been working for him for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we all know this, right? That the great depression begins during the Hoover administration. And, um, Curtis makes this remark that quote, good times are just around the corner. This quote gets falsely attributed to Hoover and really doesn't bode well. It, it it doesn't. Well, let's just put it this way: Curtis didn't do Hoover any favors in that statement. And um, at the 1932 Republican National Convention, Hoover uh, is nominated. Just about everybody's like, "Yeah, he's our guy from 1932." Curtis uh, does not get a majority of the votes. So it's not looking very good for him. On the second ballot at the convention, the Pennsylvania delegation's like, um, hey, Charles, <laughs> no, we're going to pick Edward Martin and uh, you're going to be the VP candidate for 1932. So I don't know what that does to your ego, but <laughs> yeah, he goes home. Actually, he goes and uh, administers the oath of office uh, to John Nance Gardner when he's inaugurated as the next vice president of the United States. Because, well, we already gave that one away, didn't we, Ben? Hoover loses big time. Yeah, that's going to be a, a, a problem for Hoover, for sure. Yeah. So, like Jason said, Curtis stays in Washington, D.C. He picks back up in his legal career, of course— if you're going to be a lawyer before you're the vice president, you might as well be one after. And in 1936, he dies uh, in February. Uh, he had wished that his body goes back to Kansas and was buried next to his wife at the Topeka Cemetery. So if you're ever in Topeka, which is possible, I suppose. I've been through it. You've been through? Have you been to the Topeka Cemetery? I have not. Jason... You were that close. I know. You, I could see the Capitol from the highway. Man. Um, it was hot. And we were in a hot RV. And um, we had gone to the Eisenhower. Um, oh, yeah. You know, site. And uh, it was a hot day. So, sorry, Charles Curtis. We didn't pay homage to you or the Capitol building. Kansas gets very hot in the summer. <laughs> hot and buggy. So you Kansans are tough people. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of tough people out there, and some of them haven't reviewed Election College on iTunes yet. And I really think you should do that. You should you should review the podcast because it helps us out tremendously and helps other people know that they should listen to the show. So go over to iTunes, leave us a little review. We really do appreciate that. And... Um, 
we would be grateful. Yeah, and uh, while you're surfing on the internet and giving reviews and typing and I don't know, maybe you bought a new computer for yourself as a early Christmas present, I don't know. Uh, head over to uh, <laughs> the Election College group on Facebook. If you go to electioncollege.com slash group, you can join us and other people like us who enjoy talking about oh, history, American history specifically, <laughs> and some of the personalities <laughs> and places that we all love to see. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.